0: Good morning once again, and welcome to our services uh, this morning. Uh, Cold enough for you today? And I think we gotta say a special thank you to our worship team this morning for helping uh, thaw us out a little bit and get us singing, okay? It was a little rough starting that first song, you know, when we first got here, but uh, thank you guys, you did a great job. And then I think, you know, for most of us here, you really tried to put your heart into the worship, even in that last song that might not have been familiar to you, and like a lot of the great songs that were written, many, many years ago, it's not about the tune. It's not about the the, the bouncy rhythm. It's about the words. It's about the convictions that we're reading. And just like we're doing in the scriptures as we study it each week, you know, together. Uh, You're going to notice as you look around, we got a few faces that are not here with us this morning. Our great edge ministry is, is making great plans for this year. And our edge small group leaders and other leaders are having a retreat this weekend. And so, they're not here with us this morning, but they're making some great plans. In addition to that, we've got about 60 of our students that are down in Tampa at the Playmakers Bowl, and they're trying to have some, uh, you know, victories in their life after some crushing defeats over the last week, you know, for for some of us. On that note, congratulations to our UGA alumni and our fans on a very great season. Just like North River, it was a great 2017, but the best is yet to come. You know, we're not done yet, okay, in all of our lives. Uh, Greetings also from the Dallas Fort Worth Church. Kelly and I were there last uh, weekend at their annual kickoff, and we were the guest speakers there, and then met with the ministers from Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas and did some, you know, church building sort of work and training with them as well. On Saturday night, it was a, a kind of a rustic scene. We had barbecues in this very rustic Western community center, and you may notice I got my tennis shoes on this morning, and I may be limping a little bit because they had kind of a jimmy rigged sound system, and I was running off the stage, and Kelly was coming up, and I just just totally flew out of the audience and landed about right there on my left heel, but at least it wasn't a face plant. And I understand even the Russian judges gave me a 4.8. And for that, I was very, very appreciative, you know, on, on that. Okay, but, uh, you know, for right now, we're in the middle of a series, aren't we? Book Exodus. Have you been reading the book Exodus? I mean, it really is exciting, okay, to see what God is doing and, and all of the things that he has in mind as he works with his people. The series is uh, is entitled, you know, Set Free to Bring God Glory. And last week, is Jeff did a terrific job, you know... Uh, you know, with the kickoff of this series, and I got to listen to it. I really hope when you miss church, it's so easy, just go back and dial it up, okay? And you can get up to speed on what all of us are working on. But if you remember, he mentioned here uh, some very basic tenets about the book of, of, you know, of, uh, of Exodus, that Egypt was never the promised land. Do you remember that? There were promises, of course, and it was a promise of offspring and land. It was a promise of God blessing and multiplying, but also giving an inheritance. And that's something that uh, was God's plan for them and his plan for us. In, in that context, you can see working through even the first couple of chapters in Exodus that God did, in fact, have a plan. Even though bad things were happening, you could always have hope because despite our circumstances, God hasn't forgotten about us, but there's a plan that he's working out and where the goal is to meet those plans with faith and not fear. His plan has always been opposed as well. And then, then this week... The sermon title is Man on the Run. Are you ready to open up to the book of Exodus, chapter 2? Because we've gone past seeing Moses' as a little baby who was delivered and supported to be able to do something great uh, for God and his people. And, uh, but sometimes, you see, we have noble ideas, but have ignoble ways of trying to put them into practice. And we have to learn to do God's will, God's way. Have you noticed that? Moses, perhaps the greatest human leader in all of history, absolutely revered by the two largest religions in our entire world, at one time was simply a man on the run. In Exodus chapter 2, here's where we start reading where Jeff left off last week in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them in their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?" The man said, and who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, what I did must have become known. Let me tell you what's next. Pharaoh heard of this. And he tried to kill Moses. And the Bible tells us that Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. I was reading and studying that, you know, this week, and I remembered another place where it said somebody sat down. Do you remember? It was in the book of Jonah. And Jonah was a religious man of God, and God gave him an assignment that he didn't want to do. And then when he went to do it, it didn't have the outcome that he wanted and he was feeling sorry for himself He was mad at God for his circumstances. He was halfway across the world doing something. He didn't want to do It wasn't his plan and he was sulking and he was moping about his situation in life. And it said he just sat down You ever feel like sitting down? You know where life is just kind of beating up on you, you go dang. I'm tired I'm worn out. How do you think Moses must have felt at this point? He's been delivered. He's in the 1% of the greatest, richest, most powerful nation in the world. He has a privileged life. Everything is going pretty well. He does care about people. He has some kind of relationship, you know, with, with what is right and a concept of God. And he's trying to help out somebody who is being abused. And somebody, a needy person, a hurting person, he's trying to come to their defense, and he gets, it it just turns out horrible for him. He's a man on the run. His life, basically, as he knew it, is over. He's in a foreign land. He's got probably no money. Maybe he's got a nice, you know, garment or something, you know, he could perhaps trade. But he, he, he knows nobody. And he's out there wondering if if there's a posse after him and, you know, he's going to be taken back or executed. And he just sits down after he tried to do the right thing. That one's really tough, isn't it? When you do the wrong thing and you get hammered, well, you go, okay, maybe I deserve some of that. When you're trying to do something good and you you, you get in trouble for it and your life starts unwinding, it's even tougher. Anybody remember Joseph? We saw him earlier in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, who tries again and again just to do the right thing, and he ends up, his life ends up going terribly in the wrong direction. I've experienced that kind of stuff, haven't you? Some of it's self-inflicted, some of it not so much. It would be crazy to say everybody in this auditorium today, and you guys that were too cold or your car wouldn't start this morning, you know, that are watching it, you know, you know technically, it would be crazy to say that some of us aren't here kind of sitting down and kind of bummed about life. I got bummed last night about 8 o'clock at night, if you really want to know the truth. I threw my remote down in my, you know, it, you know in my chair, so I didn't hit the floor. I threw it down like seven times. Ah, ah. I needed an exorcism, okay? But that's a tiny little thing, right? But there are things where we're moping, It didn't turn out so good. Our life is not what we dreamed. We never envisioned 10, 20 years ago it would be just like it is right now, whether it's in our health, our finances, our personal life, the church, whatever it is, okay? And sometimes God blesses you, though. You know, sometimes God just answers your prayers immediately and you just feel awesome. And you feel great, and thank goodness you have those times in your life. We've been having a car issue, you know, in our family and uh, with the starter, and it it wouldn't start, and you try and you try and try. Sometimes it takes an hour to get it started, sometimes an hour and a half. We'd have had people, you know, pick us up, you know, because Christmas was tight. We didn't have any money until this month to get it fixed. So, you know, generally speaking, when this happens, you know, I try to say a prayer, you know, about it sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work so well you know on uh, you know on friday right after kelly had gone to me with some sisters in marietta square the car died again and it was an hour and we were trying to get our son to the airport and you know i had the other car and you know it was like okay jeff come pick me up jeff picks me up and we get in the car and then we start driving about one block and i just start praying god please start that car and kelly calls me 17 seconds later and says the car just started And I'm going, oh, man, am I a great prayer. That's unbelievable. I'm really good. Well, not really, you know. But you go, I mean, sometimes, don't you love it when you get just a really quick answer to stuff? And it happens, and it's just really good news. And then a lot of times, it doesn't happen that way, right? It's years, years of praying Pleading, asking God to change something, to do something in our life, to try to, you know, to, to take care of our kids, our health, our finances, our marriage. Here's what I know in our group and in any group this size, okay, that, in, uh, that, that, that we have health issues among us. We got adult children issues on us and sometimes the little kid issues, you know, among us. We got financial issues and we got marital issues, Some of your marriages, you're not just having a bump, you're having an earthquake. It's lousy. It's not going good. You're a Christian. You would expect it to be going awesome. Or you're single and you're a Christian and you would expect, I've got this great undivided devotion to God and I'm excited about my station in life. But that's not where you're at. It's not where your heart is at. You're, you're looking at, and feeling down, you know, and discouraged about the situation that you're going through. Sometimes you're getting help, and sometimes you know what you're doing? <laughs> you just sat down and stopped. <sighs> not really praying. You're not really trusting God. You're not really getting on the phone. Hey, I got to get together, bro. Hey, we got to get with another couple and get some help on this. This is not going good. We're not happy. We're not fulfilled. It shouldn't be this way or whatever is going on, you know, in our life. Moses is definitely in one of these periods, you know, in, uh, you know, you know, in his life. And, and yet here's, uh, here's something I want us to be able to take a look at what he does. I really love this, what Moses does. What happens, and if you're reading along in your Bible, he's sitting down and He sees again a need. We got some women going and trying to water their flocks. And then we got these shepherds basically who run them off and abuse these women. They got there first. They're trying to take care of their flock, But these, you know, macho guys, they just chase them off. It happens on a regular basis because if you read later on, just a few verses down, you know, the, uh, the father of some of these girls says, wow, you're back so early. What happened? They're used to getting chased off. By these men and then but Moses what does the Bible say about Moses he's sitting down he's down he's discouraged but he gets up and he does something right two weeks ago I talked about the things we're not gonna worry about or I'm not gonna worry about in my life in 2018 and one of them was money and one of the points that we said okay instead of worrying about money get up and solve a problem and you'll feel, at the very least feel better about yourself. God can bless you, and who knows, some, some other blessing, even compensation, might come your way. But Moses, he gets up. He still got that heart, wanting to try to help out people that are hurting. He gets up, and he, he came to their rescue. Not only did he run off the shepherds, then he got his hands dirty, and he rolled up his sleeves, and he watered that flock for these women. He started serving people. Do you see this? Do you see it? When you're down, when you're discouraged, when it all seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, is that phrase was used many years ago. But when you get up, you get up and start helping people and doing something, guess what happens? God then uses it, and he blesses it. If you'll look in the rest of the chapters, you keep reading, you'll see God starts blessing uh, you know, Moses. And in this, this next passage, I want us to be able to look at, we're having a little bit of problems with our clicker. you know. So um, let's try to, try to advance it, Andrew, there. We're not getting much luck here. Okay, this is, look in your Bible, chapter 2, look at it at the end of this chapter. Here is the bottom line. Here is the bottom line in all of this that we're looking at with Moses, but not only Moses, with God's people then and now. When it seems like there's not much going on, you're not having many prayers answered, you're not seeing really great things happen in this season in your life, in this period in your life. These things are not what you feel like the abundant life Ought you know you know ought you know ought to be. I'm covering this because that's what the text says, and because if you're having the best year of your life so far right now, just enjoy it and chill. Let's work on the rest of us. All right. But here's what God says with, with Moses and with his people. It says during that period the king of Egypt died. Now Moses is out getting discipled by being a shepherd. Out in this land of Midian, he's being humbled. The Bible will go on to say he was the most humble man who ever lived, but probably it didn't start when he was in Pharaoh's household. It happened as God discipled him and helped him work through disappointment and challenge and then get get to work with what was in front of him. God blessed him. He gave him a family. He taught him how to lead sheep so he would be ready to, to lead some really gnarly sheep you know out in the desert which would be God's people the Israelites but God remembered it says they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went to God God heard God remembered God looked and God was concerned do you see that do you believe we have the same God today Do you believe he does that in your life, in my life, in our church, in our country, with people that are hurting? Does he always answer immediately in 17 seconds? Does he always do it in this calendar year? But God always hears, always remembers, always looks, always is concerned because this book of the Bible is about God not just about people not just about me and you this church is about god right it's about jesus it's not just, and then when we trust and respond to god even when we're hurting by getting on up starting to pray start doing something god has this miraculous amazing crazy plan that he wants to work you know, in, you know, you know, you know, in our lives. Now I'll just say a note about, you know, about this. I believe our next passage is Philippians chapter, you know, Philippians chapter one, if we can get there. Don't try to do this alone. God created it for us to do it together. And if we can get on to Philippians chapter one, if we're there, well, okay, this is not bad either, okay? I love this passage because it says, you know, because a lot of us feel this way, God, we learned about you from our youth and, you know, we're right to this day, you know, we're wanting to pass on to the next generation. That's three verses earlier, but here the psalmist says, you know, Lord, though you have made me see troubles, many and better, could Moses have said that? Could you have said that, may still be saying that, though you have really made me see some hard times. You will restore my life again. You will restore my fortunes again. You will restore my faith again. You will restore my marriage again. You will restore again, again. Why, because I'm so good? No, because God is great and he has a plan. This is is the focus on on God. And then his plan is to do it together. If we can go to that next verse in Philippians chapter 1, and he talks about us working together. And this is a beautiful thing. We're going to look at one other passage from the New Testament because the New Testament helps add add texture and context and, and insight into these things we're studying and reading in the Old Testament. Whatever happens in our life, do it together. Honor Christ. Work together and work side by side as one man. That is one of the terrific things that we're doing in our midweek, you know, plans this week. We had a great time with the men on Wednesday night in here. Okay? And great lesson, great singing, intergenerational fellowship. And we split up in our, our small groups and our family groups and had about 20 minutes together. It was outstanding. The room was you know, basically filled with, you know, with everybody in these different constructs. You know, you look around, I'd, I'd, I'd estimate the men of the north, okay, because the men, of the, uh, men in town were meeting in town and they also had a great new Christian baptized yesterday in the Chattahoochee, okay? If you're here from in town, you know about it. We'll send out the video to the whole church. Congratulations, in town. You got big plans too because you got your leadership uh, group retreat next week. It's exciting, okay? But, you know, for the men of the north, the men of the north up here, we had a great gathering. I'd estimate about 60 of you weren't there. Okay? And so, let you need it. Ladies, you need it. You need it this Wednesday. Take the time you need. Clear your schedule. Get your calendar out. Give yourself 10 days or a week to work out the details. Come on here and get that strength and encouragement that we need from each other. Okay? We do this because we know we need it and we're all needed as well, all right? Don't try to bootstrap this on your own. Even Moses needed some help, and he needed Aaron to help him on the big assignment, and he needed the, uh, the family there and uh, Midian to be able to help him as, you know, as well. All right, here's where we go into the, into the New Testament. You realize on these Sunday mornings we just have a short period of time to cover A lot of material, so you got to kind of dig in and study on your own. But if you got your Bible open to Hebrews 11, you can follow along, or on your device, or you can see the Bible's going to tell us a little bit what is going on in Moses internal, uh, internally in his heart, and in his motives. You don't really, you can't, you can't discern this completely from just the reading of Exodus. But here's what here's what the New Testament tells us about Moses. By faith, it says, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What's your treasure? What do you value? The Bible tells us this is just not a random event of a guy losing his temper because he really cared about some people and wanted to help him out. It actually, there was stuff going on in Moses' head and Moses' heart. Just like there is in all of us, you know, you know today in our lives. And the Bible tells us that Moses made a choice. He made a choice to make a stand. Throughout history, men of courage have been inspired by their God to make choices. Before we close out, I want to just share about a couple of them today. On July 2nd, 1505, on the way home from law school, a young man got caught in a terrific thunderstorm. He was hurled to the ground by a bolt of lightning and he cried out, his memoirs tell us, Saint Anne, Saint Anne, help me and I will become a monk. 15 days later, to his uh, father's chagrin, he, he uh, kept his vow and began training for the ministry. He was the monk that stood against an empire and changed the world. Let me remind you where he took his stand. One of the great uh, convictions of the Reformation, and especially of this man, Martin Luther, was that the Word of God comes to us in the form of a book, this revelation that God preserves his message of salvation and holiness from generation to generation by means of a book of revelation, not a bishop of Rome. It was a radical stance at that day. We owe a lot in Christianity today and through the years because of this stand, and it did come with a price. This life-giving but life-threatening you know, position you know, put uh, Martin Luther in a terrible place and was branded as a heretic and very nearly lost his life. But this absolute notion of complete obedience to Scripture against any other man-made authority be they popes or councils or religious leaders, was the fuel of the, the Reformation. Toward the end of his life, Martin Luther made it clear where he was taking his stand, where he stood. The year before he died, he summed it up like this. I think it's a great quote. "'Let the man or woman who would hear God speak "'read Holy Scripture, "'hear alone in the pages of the Bible, "'God speaks with final authority.'" Here alone, the decisive authority rests. From here alone, the gift of God's righteousness comes to hell-bound sinners. That was his stance. One man, this man Martin Luther, took a stand against an empire and left a global legacy. He was excommunicated, he lost his job and reputation and very nearly his life. 500 years later, a man who bore his name did lose his life taking a stand against his culture and even the influential segments of his own religion. Although he was also trained as a minister, he was a different color, a different race, but had the same courage and the same kind of resolve. And our country and our world is a better place because of that. We know who we're talking about, we already referenced him, got a holiday in his honor. You know this weekend, Martin Luther King, chief spokesman for nonviolent activism in the civil rights movement, and had a major, major impact. You know, I'm not an I'm not a historian that's gonna tell you all the ins and outs of Martin Luther and this the, the day is not about Martin Luther or Martin Luther King. It's about Jesus, it's about God, it's about being in control. But it also is about men and women who have to take a stand on things they believe are right, regardless of the consequences in their life. Those kind of men and women and to this day make a stand in their community, in their neighborhood, in their families, and you know, in you know, in, in their church. You know, the uh, one of the great, amazing things about this man, though, this world changer, was the militance of his stand. It wasn't militance and violence. It was the absolute ends. There are so many people who view a means to an end, you know, as, uh, you know, they get all mixed up on this. There are a lot of great people throughout history who have big, strong goals and, and want to take a stand. You know, Hitler, Lenin, Mao, Mao Zedong, you know, and the, the list is desperately long. Of people who are intense, who are committed, who 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 have, have something they seem like they need to be able to, you know, to help, you know, in the world. And yet, you know, for men and women who follow Christ and his plan and the way he does, you know, he, the way he, he you know, his his values, you know, there's a commitment to do things the right way. A commitment to nonviolence by Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, to stick as hard to those principles as the people who were trying to stick to oppressive principles is, is a tremendous, you know, legacy. Uh, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, certainly Moses, you know, would not be moved. And we are better people, you know, because of it. I, um, I heard a, um, you know, I heard a, a story. I don't know, I was a young Christian maybe two three years old. And a minister came and he, he, he told a story that, that I've never forgotten. I shared it once about 33 years ago and uh, when I was in the church in San Francisco and I actually forgot about it. I thought about it you know, you know, recently. And it, it, it's about taking a stand as well. It's about seeing what you believe is right, even in the face of opposition, but taking a stand. It, it happened years ago over 60 years ago in St. Louis in this place called Kiel, you know, Auditorium. And uh, this was a time postmodernism was starting to kick in and, you know, higher criticism of the Bible. And, um, you know, there was, a, uh, there was a professor who made a name for himself, and he traveled from city to city. And he, uh, he basically was undermining the Bible and uh, the claims of Jesus. And um, he, uh, he was very persuasive. There was a big crowd, thousands of people there in Keele Auditorium, and he was, he was making his arguments known, arguing against the existence of God, or you certainly couldn't be sure, you know, about it, being able to point out alleged fallacies or contradictions. You know, you know in the Bible, uh, he attacked the historicity of Jesus and saying, you know, he probably was a real person, but Christians just added and enhanced all these stories and, uh, to, uh, to make it more impressive. And he was a very, he, he was very persuasive. And uh, these were new arguments. For us, they're kind of old and worn out. But for that time, they were, they, they were new. And people, you know, uh, people got very, very quiet. It was, it was like the air was drained out of the room in that auditorium. And it was a young girl who was in the audience and who was getting more and more, more, and more disconsolate as this went on and more and more sad. And, and, but, but she didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to, to handle that. And so finally, you know, you know, with 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 so much just, 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 just consternation, she, she finally did something. She just stood up. Just stood up. And then a few seconds later, there was this there was this thin but 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 confident little voice rang through Keele Auditorium. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed.